In this episode, we talk about how to help employees receive mentorship on topics that you don't know much about. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Not a whole lot. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of energy there, it, it sounds like. <laughs> it's forced energy. Uh, it was a late uh, late night last night, not a lot of sleep, and I was sort of coming towards the end of my day. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I got a couple of things after this. So, oof. um, oof. Yeah. Oof is right. <laughs> what do you, what, what, how are you doing? Um, good, good. I, uh, just bought tickets to uh founder summit this fall. I, we talked about this a few episodes ago that I was, I was considering it, but it's official now. Um, so going to Asheville, North Carolina, um, kind of my bordering on first real conference ever, which uh, is kind of exciting and scary. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. <laughs> And you said it's Asheville? Mm-hmm. It's that's, kind of outside Asheville, but yeah. That's awesome. That's where I grew up, man. Yeah, it's going to be cool. They, they're they calling it the like camp conference or what? It, like it's meant to be more of a camp vibe as opposed to like a conference center type of thing. So are they, is it, is it a hotel or do they have um, like glamps, glamping situation set up? It's kind of like a complex around a lake that, as I understand it, it's kind of like a, hosting events business, but in more of a summer camp type of uh, cool. setting. Yeah. So it should be cool. You're going um, to Camp Seagull, basically. Yeah. You're going to be in like cots and, and bunk there beds? Are, there are glamping options. I just went with the like, give me a normal hotel room option. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, and that's I'll, just to be clear, Founder Summit is associated with Earnest Capital. Yeah, which is now called Calm Company Calm Fund. Capital. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, capital fund. That's right. Okay. Calm, calm company. Calm fund. company fund. Okay. Uh. <laughs> um, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Thanks for pointing that out. So founder summit, it's not exactly a hundred percent owned by a calm company fund, but they're like one of the people who put it on, I think as, as I understand it. Um, but related to that, I also have, as you know, I have been an investor in calm company fund. I think I decided I'm not going to renew this year. Um, I don't know if this is of interest to anybody, but it's extremely interesting to me. So yeah, and I should—I I don't have any juicy. I don't have anything bad to say. It's been great experience. I just kind of assessed the stuff that I'm doing, and I was like, "This, I don't care about the returns. I don't want." And then, well, actually, what was happening is I was doing taxes, and I got two K ones and two K threes, which are the new international ones, and I was just like isn't the point of having money to ha- have an easier life? Why am I making my taxes harder here? Like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. So uh, I've got no- nothing bad to say about uh, Calm Company Fund at all. Just I-, I have no reason to be investing in anything other than like a Vanguard index fund. So I'm going back to that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, I, I assume that doesn't solve your problem. You're still going to have capital in the calm fund. So you're still going to get K ones. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. But the way they do it, it's like a rolling thing where every year is a new fund. Um, and so I, I'm two years in now. So I get two of these, but I'm like 10 years from now, do I want to be getting 12 of these? Like, no, I do not. So I'm, <laughs> I'm cutting my losses there. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, I do That's still cool. believe in it. I think I, I, everything's going great for, from what I understand about the companies and stuff. So I think it's probably a really good investment, but I just don't care. <laughs> Are you showing uh, returns on your K1? Mm, I don't No, Not yet. 
Cool. I don't. So it's think. really just like a purely administrative burden with no upside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I, did, I, I I will say I kind of I'm glad I did it because like there's all this. Have you invested in any of this anything non-public? I've gotten a K one before, but not for the same thing. Yeah. That you we're talking about. So it was an interesting learning experience, just in terms of like. Like technically I have a share of liabilities and there's like the, the management fee they take out gets counted differently for, I still don't really understand it, but I, I understand it a little bit better. So I, I am glad that I learned a little bit about how that world works, but probably not interested in continuing investing. And so you're just going to go straight vanilla index funds. Like, I'm curious, like one of the reasons I feel like you did this was it was kind of part of your reevaluation of like how you spend your money and your time around mm -hmm. like what makes you happy. Um, and one of the things that makes you happy is podcasting and audio equipment. And so like you invest time on this episode and you buy really nice mics, like $10,000 mics. I'm just teasing. It's like $400 mic. That seems like a lot of money. Um, but like another one was like investing in, in startup to last like companies, bootstrap companies. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what what are you going to replace this with if it was kind of a filling that passion project void? Yeah, good question. And I, one thing I should say is I think that they're going to be happy when they find out I'm not renewing because I'm at like the very lowest level. They they don't even allow people to get in at the level I'm putting in. And they have this cap of like 250 investors. So I was probably taking up a, a spot from someone who would have been paying more. I find that comforting. If it was like, oh, without me, these companies aren't going to get funded, I would have more of a passion for it. But it seems like they've got plenty of investors these days. Um, yeah, I had been accounting that money as play money, not long-term like savings. It, it was like I counted it at zero. Mm -hmm. It's all going to go away just because I have no idea. So I'm probably going to put some of it into Vanguard just because I have extra money. But yeah, I think uh, probably travel. Nice. I'm not. I'm not like huge on travel. I don't know if, if you are, but like Shelly loves it, and I, I listed this as one of my goals for the year is to like budget for to, to make Shelly happy budget for more travel. And so that that'll go towards that. And I think you also admitted that like the last couple trips you've done where you've, you've upped the uh, accommodations a little bit, they've, you've been like, Hey, I can get used to this. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's not that I dislike travel. I just, I don't have the, the itch, but yeah, if, if you're like staying in nice hotels and stuff, uh, it's definitely a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I cool. still have never really flown business class or above, and I never want to because I think as soon as I do, I'm going to wa start wanting it. <laughs> You've never flown first class? I Someone gave me a first class, like they swapped with me, but it was from like Detroit to St. Louis. So it's like, you know, you never even really take off. You just, uh, it's like a 30 minute flight. So uh, <laughs> that's the only time I've ever been first class. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice when you're doing like cross country stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's a lot of blabbering from me. What's going on with you? Um, well, this is kind of interesting news. Um, a leg up, a national leg up health competitor that sort of took a, a boil the ocean approach for the past five years, um, to marketplace health insurance services. Um, it looks like they're going out of business. They're doing a hard pivot. They've laid off a lot of people, um, and, uh, shut down their primary service. It appears. I don't know for sure if that's happening, but like, I'm not going to say the company name just cause I don't want to, I don't want to do that, but it's, um, it's a pretty big deal. Um, so like two things go through my mind when something like this happens, like it's like kind of devalidates your business model to a degree. Right. Right. Why didn't it work for them? Yes, right. Like, uh, and so maybe it's like bad, but then at the same time I go look at like what, how they were operating and like the style that they were doing and the way they were approaching. It. It's like exactly why we like, we're doing it so differently. Mm. Um, as simple as like focusing purely on marketplace insurance, 
purely on Utah, um, taking a service approach. Um, it's just like they, they're, they're trying to make the old way work in today's world um, mm. of agent driven, like lead buying, you know, uh, kind of commission driven and it didn't work. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm good with it. Um, but, it, but anytime your competitor goes out of business, you're like, Oh, like what does this mean? So yeah. um, we're going to reach out, try to buy the book for Utah. Um, I don't think that'll happen. Um, but at least I'll like figure out that there's a relationship that we can have um, that could benefit both parties, um, all all stakeholders involved, like mm-hmm. the, you know that company, um, their current marketplace clients, um, and like a pelt. That would be amazing. So I know you said it probably won't happen, but just the the possibility of it is kind of uh, you know even if it's a one percent chance, it's kind of exciting. Oh the, yeah, you get the impression they have a lot of clients. Uh I think so. Um, you know, I can't say for sure, but they've been around a while. They had some, one thing that I, that they did that I did like is they partnered with a lot of, uh, firms like people keep that have employer employee relationships, um, that need individual health insurance. So that they had something there that I think if we could replicate and make work is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and so like getting those relationships, um, for Utah would be cool. Um, but then more importantly, like I, I, they've been around a while and they raised a lot of money. Um, right. so they had to be doing something. Um, so they'd have some sort of traction. Yeah. Although did you see the, uh, when fast shut down, did you no. read the news about that? No, they were valued at like, they, they raised, oh, I'm going to make $300 million or something like that. And they, they just shut down and it turned out they had $600,000 in lifetime revenue, I think was the number. So sometimes companies raise a lot of money and make, make nothing, but <laughs> yeah. you never know. Do you think there's any chance that they they sh- are shutting down for reasons? I, I know you said like they, they were probably taking a different approach from you and all that, but like it's possible just you can't employ knowledgeable staff at this price. Or I, I know you said like vaguely you could be concerned about that, but have you gone through that exercise of thinking through what it might have been? Yeah, um, and I would just I, I won't share details, but JD's already had a call with the founder and like huh. de- debriefed on all this stuff. Um, but I'm not going to go into details on that out of respect. Um, but high level, yeah, like they do, they were taking a very different approach and the high level feedback that we got on our approach, uh, from this, this, uh, individual was like validating like our, our go to market approach. Um, yeah. you know, everything from like focusing on one state to one line, you know, of service to, um, you know, trying to, trying to develop, um, a go to market approach that is not dependent on sort of out, uh, you know, lead purchasing, the, the historical lead purchasing, um, that, agents are, are, are used to buying. Gotcha. Cool. Well, uh, that's, that's exciting. Um, I mean, not, not, I I appreciate your professionalism of not, uh, trying to dance on the grave or whatever Mm -hmm. here, but, uh, do do you, do you listen to the art of product podcast? I don't. Um, Ben, uh, from tuple and Derek from savvy Cal Ben. So tuple is a pair programming app. The previous version was screen hero which not, not previous version, but there was a pair programming app called Screen Hero that then got acquired by Slack. And then Slack, after Ben started Tuple, Slack shut down Screen Hero um, or something like that. And you can kind of go listen to the podcast of like how much it helped Tuple to have a competitor shut down like that. And not, not to say necessarily that your situation will be the same, but like it, it, in that case, it was a pretty big deal for him. Yeah, interesting. I one thing that's pretty cool about that business is that it's a very niche business, like online, like very focused, uh, cont- like 
ge- no geographical constraints. Right, um, right. What's what's challenging about our situation is like the good thing is like we're focusing right on Utah, but in this particular case, this 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 business served all states, and so like we're looking at like a sliver of their like uh, the opportunity for us like is such a sliver within a sliver within a sliver. Right. Yeah. It's like, is it even worth their time to sell you the book of business? Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Huh. Um, so, so like, it, you know, it's, it's, and, and the, ge- it, it's not like a one-to-one type thing. Um, like, like that situation you had, yeah, which gotcha. would be amazing, um, opportunity. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Back to me, I guess. Uh, we're working on a lease renewal for our office. Are you, which- are you negotiating so hard? I'm not, but so we have like a stupidly good deal already. And in a sense, it's like real estate prices, like commercial real estate's down a lot right now because so many companies going remote and stuff. But I went into it thinking they're still going to raise our price just because our original deal was so stupidly good and called the landlord up and he was like, let's just keep the deal if that works for you. And I, yeah, I probably could have negotiated more, but I'm like, this is an outrageously good deal. I'm happy with that. (laughs) So it's not final. We still have to work out like so for anyone who's never done like commercial leases, they give you a price per square foot. So ours is going to be ten dollars, and it's like eighty in real cities. What is what is it currently? Ten. Ten. So you're getting the same price. Okay, same cool. price. But then when you do that, there's a certain amount of that that's actually an allowance to pay for a build out, right? I know, like with people keeps office, was it already built out, or did you do some of that? We got a. Uh, it's TI tenant improvement allowance is what it's called. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, we did get a TI. Okay. So basically the landlord gives back a certain amount of the money in the form of, yeah, improving the space. Um, So the negotiation now is like, how much improvement do we get? Um, Which honestly, we don't need much, but I'll see what I can get. What are you going to (laughs) build? We're probably going to, yeah, so you've been to our space. There's, we built the office at a time where we we used the office differently. We used to have all of our desks. The ma- everyone's main desk was in this big open office area. And then we had all these private offices that were kind of up for grabs. Like go if you need to take a call, go in one of them. After the pandemic, when we came back, we flipped it to everyone's main office is one of the private offices, which means the, the setup of the open office can be totally different. So the main thing we're doing is we're tearing down this huge wall that divided the office in two. Because before it was like, if you want to make a whole lot of noise, go over there. And if you don't want noise, go over there. Now it's like make noise everywhere because everyone has a private office. Um, hmm, so that's nice. the big thing is just tearing down a wall, which is nothing. But building a couple more private offices, trying to change the conference rooms up, improve the bathrooms a little, stuff like that. Improve the lighting. You could, you could probably do some like, depending on how much you get, you could probably do like some little aesthetic things that are like not big changes to the, um, to the uh, you know, layout or anything like that, but right. massively improve how it feels to be in the office. That could be yeah, cool. Yeah, that's true. Although I actually... Kind of uh, our aesthetic in the office has always been like a little rough around the edges, like it's not fully polished. And I actually like that. I think that if things are too nice, people start to f- feel a little sense of entitlement. I've had this at other companies I've worked at where it's like, you know, you, you may not feel like like at a small company, everyone has to chip in and like run the dishwasher sometimes and do this and that. And I kind of like having an office space where everyone it's very obvious this is not perfect, you know? Yep. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Kind of like the Jeff Bezos, uh, back in the day, didn't everyone at Amazon have to like go buy a door at home Depot and build a desk out of it or something stupid like that. I've never heard that. That sounds great though. (laughs) Something like that. Um, but you have to wash your own dishes at less annoying CRM and, and serve your own LaCroix. It's a hard life. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, yeah. How about you? Back to you. Um, well, we're laying some goose eggs uh, the past few weeks on finding ICPs. Um, ICP stands for I- Ideal Client Profile for um, Leg of Health. Uh, particularly, this is someone in Utah who buys marketplace health insurance currently. So we've been doing this prospecting campaign to you know try to reach out and profile Utah consumers that we believe have a high probability of being ICPs. Um, but we've with our outreach, we have you know ramped up. We we had some early success, and then we tried to ramp up volume with some tooling and some automation and we've had less success. Mm. And so um, I want to call out JD uh, in a really good way. Um, this week, he kind of went through a reflection point on Tuesday or Wednesday prior to our meeting today. We meet, we sync weekly on Thursdays. He, um, he, he basically said, listen, I, I think like I need to take a step back here and go back to prioritizing quality over quantity. Um, and uh, I think we've, we need to go back to the basics and it's less about volume right now. It's more about, genuinely building connections with the community right. um, and, you know, getting answers to questions. Um, and so we identified that he's, he's identified that basically like the problem isn't that we're not identifying people that have a high probability of being ICPs. The problem is not our ability to like execute, like, you know, against like the, the tactical stuff. It's really like, we're not getting responses to our outreach, which means we're not resonating with the mm. person that we're reaching out with. So he's going to kind of go back to the drawing board and continue the same effort, but uh, be a lot more thoughtful in his outreach. This is all driven by him. I had nothing to do with this. Um, And I actually think that this is going to result in some quick wins over the next couple of weeks as he, you know, instead of doing 50 outreaches a day, goes down to five or 10. Um, I think he's going to have a much higher hit rate and as a result, get more ICPs. Yeah. Like how many customers per week or however you want to define it do you think you'd feel good like not right this second because i realize you're still experimenting but like a month from now if i said a number right now if i said you're getting three per week like does that make you happy or sad do you know what you what you're hoping for if we got one per week year round like every week we could just count on getting a new client per rep that we have that would be outstanding Mm -hmm. because i believe that one one new client per week turn like year round turns into four new clients or five new clients or 10 new clients per week during open enrollment. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, like you, you don't need the scale. You don't, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, I'm curious though, as I understood your process before, it sounded like you bought a big list of contact info. No, you didn't. It's all been uh, self-generated lists based on JD doing searches on LinkedIn, on Google and association type stuff. Gotcha. Um, and then sort of cut, we're buying uh, data to enrich those lists. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. 50, f- doing the 50 per day of that sounds very, very tough. Yeah. And and I think like if you're doing a one to many approach, like it may work, but like to get responses on a consumer level like this, we're going to need to be like, Hey, I noticed your dog's name was Jeff. And <laughs> yeah. I really like that name. Like, do you like your dog? I like dogs. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you buy health insurance on the marketplace? That yeah. kind of like that level of personalization is what we need, right? Uh, I hate those emails, but I know they work. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, like well, developing bummer. relationships with our potential pros- with our prospects, so that we can qualify them, and just slowing down. And I, I'm I'm happy about this for two reasons. One, I think it's the right decision. It aligns with our purpose. Like I think part of this was JD listened to our podcast about mission, vision, values, and heard me like talking about purpose, values, and it, it kind of like in addition to like have laying some goose eggs. It's like 
oh yeah, like we can we prioritize service over mm-hmm. growth. Right. And it empowered him to make this decision. That's awesome. The second part is like we don't have any pressure on growth. Like this is the advantage of being a startup last. Can you imagine like if you're laying goose eggs at a venture capital backed firm and you come in and say, you know, I think I need to let let off the gas pit pedal a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That would not be, yeah, they'd be like, okay, you're fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's going to try next? And that's what happened to our competitor. I, yeah, I think something that doesn't get talked about enough, there's all kinds of arguments in favor of bootstrapping and against raising from venture capitalists and stuff. But one of the things that is said, but I don't think said enough, is just how many ideas, how many businesses will w- could never succeed in a way that a venture capitalist would consider success, but absolutely could. It's not just that it takes longer and and you have freedom and all that stuff. It's also just like the business fundamentally might work under your leadership and it wouldn't work if you went and raised a bunch of money. That's very possible. Thousand percent. Um, One related thing I have on here, I'll just shift to my next topic, which is um, one thing that's happening is we're noticing that there's a lot of like small business owners have these side conversations about these problems, you know, like when, when it's something that's like somewhat emotional and like hard, but they don't know where to go on Google, they don't have time to go on Google. They turn to like an email list of like people that they trust and they go like, Hey John, Hey Chase, Hey Steve, like, Hey Laura, you guys are business owners. What do you do to solve this problem? Like, and I think that's what's happening with health insurance in our target market. And I want to figure out how to get leg up. Like, and then those guys reply with like, I use so-and-so to do this, or right. you should do this. Or anyway, I got forwarded one of these, these lists in the past couple of weeks. Um, and thank you to shout out to who did that. I really appreciate you. Um, I know you listen and I appreciate <laughs> you. Uh, anyway, I got forwarded this list and I saw this conversation it had been going on and like replies and no one mentioned like a pelt. And yeah. I, uh, I want to get like a pelt. Like, I think like if we can get to the point where in Utah, if small business owners are like, having these side conversations about what to do with health insurance if they have less than 10 employees. If we, if we can somehow be like, oh, you should go, you know, the, the what HubSpot is to like marketing automation, like CRM, or I want to be that for health insurance. Yeah. And uh, we're not there yet. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the dream. A nice thing here though, like this does kind of happen automatically. I feel like in a way that is kind of exciting. Like I, people talk about anything, including CRM, but they talk about health insurance a lot more than they talk about CRM, I think. Like Maybe. the conversation you're talking about, I've been in multiple times. Uh, if you just had more market share to begin with, you would get mentioned, right? They, they didn't mention you because it, it's, it's a chicken or the egg problem. But it's encouraging, even if you never, t- if, if you don't intentionally tackle that, if all you do is just go out and keep getting more clients, you'll be mentioned one of these days. I think so, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so it just, if he, that that comes comes back to the conversation of like some businesses like work for this bootstrap model, and I think that's something like I think there's like some amount of clients that we get in Utah that all of a sudden it just like starts growing by itself and maintains by itself just through yeah. word of mouth, and I don't know exactly when that what that threshold is, but I think it's a lot larger of a number than what I in, originally anticipated. Yeah. Do, do you plan? Like you made this observation, what what you want to be to do. Do you think you're going to attack like attack this directly where it's like, let's go try to figure out a way to get in that conversation or anything, or is it just like a run the normal playbook and this will happen naturally? It's an interesting question. Like, I think like the, let's, let's break that down a little bit. Cause like what needs in order to be mentioned on those conversations, like what needs to happen? Either we need to be like 
have someone on the list as a client who is super happy, right? Which in this particular case, we didn't. Um, or we need to be so like have so much brand awareness and association with that like conversation and that topic that it's just like, it's sort of like, uh, Oh, you know, you, Oh, you need auto insurance. Like go to geico.com. Right. You know? And I, 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 I think like both of them are extremely time consuming to accomplish and expensive to accomplish. One thing we can control right now is I think dialing in our messaging, um, and getting super clear about what we are and what we stand for. So like, what is like up health? Well, it's this, what is like up health? Well, it's this. And it's like, Drilling that um, now is probably something we control. The rest is sort of just time. Um, we don't have the money right now to invest in radio campaigns, billboard ads, um, and you know local TV advertisements. Um, but we, I think, we do have uh, the ability to you know grow our client base through hard work. And I think we can tighten up our messaging and say like, hey, like when someone says this, think like up health. What is that? What is this? I don't know what yeah. this is. Yeah, two things that stand out to me from that. One on the positioning point. Yeah, just telling people, reminding people to that they can do this might change their behavior. Uh, you probably don't have enough customers yet that that matters enough. Well, um, I'm I'm interested if you would consider like I know you said you can't do billboards and this and that. At Less Knowing Serum, we've been playing around with various marketing channels recently, as I've talked about on the podcast. Uh, a lot of online advertising is incredibly cheap. And you get zero conversions from it because people aren't ready to buy. Like basically all display advertising. Uh, like Facebook, you can target people real easily. No one's going to buy health insurance probably from that, but they would see it. Would you be open to more like brand? I, I, I don't know if this is the right term, but I would call it like brand advertising that isn't meant to convert. Yes, but I just don't know how like it seems expensive. What we found, well, maybe Facebook's like lying about their impressions and stuff. You can get in front of a whole fucking lot of people. For pretty cheap, maybe on a per click basis, it's expensive. Um, well, and then retargeting is another great thing here, where you can just—I I don't know—it might not be as expensive as you think. I don't know what your budget would be, but yeah. So I think like super. So long term, it's definitely in my plans to once we have a solid database of like ICPs, like hey, these mm -hmm. people are ICPs. If we can match them to their digital identity and then like market to those people. Like that yeah. is really interesting. Um, but we have so like right now, if we just went to Facebook, the signal to the noise aspects of like being able to target the person and the people that we want to target, I feel like I have high, low confidence that we would be spreading our met our 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 brand to the right people. Yeah, I agree. And we stopped doing it. Um, mm -hmm. Also, it's it's you can't measure it really. If the point is not to get conversions, how do you even decide if it's worth it? But anyway, if I don't think you should do this, but if you were like, I really want to be recommended in that and you just wanted to shortcut the hard work, <laughs> that would be yeah. one way to do it. I see this in the Calm Company Slack all the time where people go on and like, I need a, a pen test or I need a SOC 2 audit or whatever. And a lot of the replies are like, well, everyone uses this company. I've never used them, but everyone does. Um, and it sounds like that's kind of what you want to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like... What do you like? I'm in Utah. Like, what do you guys do to offer employees for health insurance? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, talk to Leg Up Health. I, I've heard great things about them. You know, they they have a unique approach. Yeah, that's all. Like, just just an introduction would. That's all we want. Mm -hmm. I uh, I don't know when it's happened, but I feel like Less Annoying Serum is often in those conversations now, which is kind of cool. Like, I, I mean, there's a thousand CRMs, so it's not like we're necessarily in everyone's top three list or whatever. But I do think. More and more, when when we talk to people and are like, how, you know, how do you find out about us? They're just like, 
I don't know, like you're one of the CRMs, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. and that's cool. I like that. Yeah, I can't, I can't escape you when I start talking about CRMs. Like yeah, my friend tells me about you, my Google tells me about you. And then all of a sudden now you're retargeting me on Facebook. Yeah. Not anymore though. We stopped. Yeah. What <laughs> else is work. going on in your world? Um, it's been a while since I've talked about design. I know like earlier in the year, I kind of said one of my big goals for the year is to get better at design. I've had some weeks more, some weeks less, but without me doing a ton, the big redesign we're working on has been moving along. Um, so we call it three, nine, three version 3.9 of our software, but we had, there's like a real, like it's live in our software. No one, no one, none of our customers have it yet, but there's like a real new design for less spring serum. And it's just great. I just love using the product now. Is it um, based on the, the kind of mentorship work that you paid for, uh, to, Yes. Yeah. So the, the timeline was like, I started working on a new design that was already a lot better than our current one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we hired Brian Lovin, who I talked about on the podcast, uh, doing to do like a design crit where he came in and very short consulting engagement, but threw some ideas together. A lot of those ideas we couldn't use just cause like the, given the amount of time he spent on it, he didn't really understand our product or a lot of the constraints. So he made a lot of like guesses that were wrong, but also just He's a great designer and he brought so many just, here's what buttons should look like. Here's what form fields should look like. Um, so we ended up taking a lot of his ideas, but also changing it quite a bit because of stuff he didn't know. Um, the result I'm, I'm thrilled with. That, it, that was a $5,000 consulting engagement. Uh, best $5,000 I've ever spent, I think. Really happy. That's awesome. And when, when does this stuff like go live for customers? Yeah, that's a good question. I, honestly, it's coming along so much faster. I thought... I didn't think it'd be where it is now until like the end of summer. Um, and Robert, our kind of lead developer, he just had a weird manic episode and he <laughs> did, did a whole lot. <laughs> I love it when developers have manic episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, if it keeps up at this pace, honestly, I don't think it'll be that long, but uh, it won't keep up at this pace. That's But maybe end of summer would be nice. And there's also a lot of other stuff we have to do. We have to think about like, okay, what about like onboarding videos and we need to update help article. Not that we, we can do that after it goes live, but there's just a lot of other stuff around it that um, this is one great advantage of being a, an early startup is you don't have any of this other crap to do when you make changes. The transitions from like, uh, like the, the, the domino effects of a, of a UI update. Ugh. Yeah. Cause we have like a thousand help articles or I, I don't know if that's right, but we have a lot. They're all going to have the wrong, <laughs> you know, images in them now. So yep. it, it's a proud project, but oh, I just, I don't have any insights or anything interesting to share here, but it's just like Exciting. so energizing. Uh, yeah, really happy with that. Cool. Um, another thing is we are in the process. Uh, well, we're, we're talking about pay transparency. Um, and by that, I mean like sharing within the company what various people make. Uh, I'm, I have more to say, but I'm curious just right off the bat what your reaction is. To pay transparency? To the idea of a company having pay transparency, yeah. And what does that mean, pay transparency? Is it, uh, does it, are you saying that like, hey, we're going to publish a list of everyone's names with their compensation next to it? Yes, not published publicly, but within the company. Within the company. Um, I mean, I, I feel like this is such a personal company cultural decision that I, yeah. like, I don't have a strong opinion on it. I, okay. You're I not think, like it's always right or it's always wrong. Mm, no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we it it came up as kind of like a an equity thing of just you know like 
if people don't, they don't know what they don't know. And even if I think we're paying people fairly, they don't know if they're being paid fairly. They don't know if they should be asking for raises. That's kind of the the main argument for it, as I understand it. Um, so anyway, we talked about it as a company. Um, I think there are some downsides and we all acknowledge the downsides, which is like humans are messy creatures. And no matter how mature you are and how smart you are, when you see what someone else makes, it's going to make you feel things, you know, and it, those feel like probably ignorance is bliss here, but we kind of decided it's the, the pros outweigh the cons, but there definitely are cons. So we're, we're going to go ahead with it, I think. Cool. Um, um, what, what um, I'm curious, like what problem are you trying to solve with this by going live? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was a request from a handful of employees and the problem is the, the equity thing. They say, you know, we say we're committed to equity as a company, like fairness, basically, uh, all these statistics show, you know, women and people of color are less likely to negotiate for themselves. And if they do, it's less likely to succeed, all this type of stuff. And they're basically saying, if we all had all the information, that wouldn't be a problem. Like everyone could know what's possible. The second thing is holding the company accountable to say, like, do we feel like, you know, that like there are a lot of decisions being made at the leadership team level that are kind of private for good reason. But like, are people getting promoted? Seems like a question that anyone might want to know the answer to, you know? So we'll see. This is not a can of worms. I want, want to open up. Um, yeah, but, me neither, but kudos to, to you for, for, for doing it. Um, you know, I, to me, it's like, I think like you're, you are as responsible as anyone on taking care of people. Um, and your word on this should be enough. Um, so, and that's, uh, yeah, I, I think, so I asked every single person, this is one of my questions in the six month one-on-one. So I asked every single person I talked about this with, it was about 50, 50 in favor and against but the people who were against it were like, I don't really care, but I trust you, you know? And the people who were in favor of it were like, I trust you, but every company should do this. And we are supposed to be setting an example. Uh, you know, it's, it's more that type of thing as opposed to like a lack of trust, I think. Cool. I yeah. agree though. It's, this is a stupid thing to spend time on. I kind of think that we as a company are at a, a stage in our life where we kind of intentionally, we're like playing the game of running a business for fun. Uh, I would definitely not advocate spending time on this for a business that's not default alive. The, the reason I like hesitate on this is there is asymmetric r- downside. Like, yeah, you're right. That's a and good point. so like very little upside in this, very high downside. And um, I don't know, it feels like a, uh, High potential regret, low potential reward. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. The, it is that's true. What, the upside is I'm not. Of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, I and don't it, think the downside's that. I mean, I guess it could spiral into something horrible. I think you you've set your company up where this like, if there's an issue that this exposes, like, I can't imagine what it would be. Um, it should just be validating what you're already saying. Um, so more of a proof point than like yeah, a surprise yeah. to people. But. Uh, yeah, but but to your point of earlier, like humans are messy creatures. Like it's that that's where it, like kind of you know sends me down that path. And like yeah. all, all like all my like decision making, studying, and writing over the past couple of years has been around like when do you like like avoid decisions and when do you avoid saying yes to things? It's generally like one of the like model mental models for like avoiding bad decisions is like ruthlessly avoiding asymmetric risk, um, when it's on the downside and ruthlessly seeking asymmetric upside. Um, but this is, uh, an emotional decision and a, uh, 
it, it feels like a uh, potentially maybe a values based decision. Um, and so like it, you kind of throw all that kind of out the door when you do that. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. Um, I did write a whole wiki article that was like before looking at the numbers, like you have to scroll down pretty far to see. And it's like, read this, like. Here are the ways you might react. No one is not. No one's going to read that. They're going to scroll down, look at it, and then go read it. Well, that may be, <laughs> but um, but th- there is one like tac- like actual tactical point in there that's like, do not talk to your manager about. Don't come saying you need a raise because someone else is overpaid. Like it's un- like this is for you to understand where you are, and if you want to raise, it should be because you're worth more. We don't want to hear you griping about what other people make. Like, don't do that. And and it's pretty rare for us to be like that strict about something. But this was one place where it's just like I I'm not I'm not allowing that type of conversation. I will be very interested in uh, update on this in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, anyway, that's the last of my kind of little topics. I do kind of have a bigger one. Um, want to jump in? Yeah, sure. So, okay, the, the big topic is how do you provide mentorship? to someone, and in this case, I'm talking about people on my team that want to get better at something, but where I don't have any experience and no one at the company really has experience with it. This is one of the downsides to being a small, small company. Like when you work with, if, if you work at Google, you could be like, there's someone here that's an expert at this thing. Guaranteed. I want to go learn from them. How do we provide that mentorship? And let me start with like a specific example of how this is happening. So we're doing this growth thing where we're, we're trying out different channels and testing them out. And one of the ones we're trying is pay-per-lead, uh, pay which is like, like pay-per-click, but pay-per-lead. But it's like, a, like software advice is one of the big ones, technology advice, where basically there are these websites out there. They generate leads by, let's say someone's looking for a CRM. They say, what's the best CRM? They end up on software advice's website. Software advice books a call with them. And they're kind of like, we're going to put you in touch with some good CRMs. And then we pay software advice for that lead and we call the person and try to convert them. You're mm-hmm. familiar with this basic model? Mm-hmm. So we did this back in the day and it, it kind of worked okay. It wasn't a huge success, but it wasn't a failure. So we're trying it again. And one of my kind of principles for this growth thing we're doing is no innovating, right? Learn from other people. Other people have done this. It has worked for them. Just follow the, the game plan that they set up. We cannot find anyone talking about this stuff. Like, how how do you use software advice effectively? Um, so this is one example where I'm like, Alex wants to get better at this. Nobody at the company knows how. How does he learn this? Yeah, and you probably have a bunch of other ones. Uh, yes. examples like this. Yeah, so, a lot of technical ones. Also, the programmer wants to get really good at Elasticsearch. How? What are you doing currently to try to solve this? Uh. So far, I've done a bit of a cop-out, which is I'm like, how do I learn stuff? Because I'm constantly doing stuff that no one at the company has any experience with. And I'm like, okay, number one, find yourself a Rick. Uh, you know, it doesn't, necessarily, yeah, it doesn't have to be a podcast, but I've I, three different people in the last couple of weeks have been like, you need to join a mastermind group. Like, you're, look, you're, you're desperate for peers, and this company doesn't have any peers uh, in this particular topic. So that's one thing. And then the other for me is just like, follow a bunch of people on Twitter and they may share what you need, but more importantly, they'll share links to research. Like you'll be like, Oh, there's apparently a blog about this that I'd never heard of, or there's a podcast or whatever. But for me, Twitter is where I get all my stuff. So I've kind of advised people to do that. I don't love that answer though. Yep. 
Um, one, the, the company that comes to mind that I think really cracked this code early on is lucid software. I just remember when they were really small, um, lucid is a billion dollar plus company here in Utah that was started at the company. We've talked about it a lot in this past podcast, but we, Tyler and I, um, we used to work with the founder. Um, it was started while we were at this company called Zane benefits, but, but, um, what they did right. I think early on is when they didn't know how to solve a problem, they would go network into like the person who know how, knew how to solve that problem locally and invite that person to come like basically do free consulting and talk about the problem. Hmm. And people like to help other people. And so right. it turned into this, I think, recruiting funnel almost for them. Um, sometimes it was a consulting engagement. Sometimes it was just like helping each other out um, and like just inviting someone into the office for 30 minutes to say like, hey, like, you know a lot about marketing, you know a lot about like lead purchasing programs. Like, hey, do you mind coming by the office? Like, have lunch and we can talk about this. Like, it's it's sort of just like creating a funnel of people locally who know who may or may not know stuff that you guys don't know, mm-hmm. inviting them in to come like coach and consult. Like, and then if it goes well in that first meeting, like hiring them or uh, developing a longer term relationship with them, either through consulting or coaching or mentorship. Uh, for the right team or person. I think they did that. Um, I don't know exactly how they did it, but they did it and it worked. Um, and I, 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 that would probably be the approach that like would be ideal. Um, yeah, because it feeds the recruiting funnel and it, um, I don't care. That, that all makes total sense. I don't personally care about recruiting because like it, we would have to be way bigger to need specialists at all, like in anything. But, um, yeah, I like all the, I, I like, okay. Do you think that would work? reasonably well remotely because one issue salt lake is not like the biggest ecosystem but it's a lot bigger than st louis Mm -hmm. there are not a lot of companies to look to for advice on this stuff in st louis yeah um i don't know especially something like as niche as this um i don't know it's it it feels to me like there's probably somewhat like the you're not like necessarily looking for software advice uh specialist here you're looking for a demand generation person who knows how to like buy sort of purchase leads for a B2B solution and make that work. Um, and that should exist somewhere in St. Louis, my guess is. Um, and there probably could be a really good friend to your company. Um, and I, and, and, and like someone you want to know, uh, I, or whoever's yeah. working on this project would want to know. Okay. So next question here, who do you know at Lucid who's doing this? Because like one of the problems, so Alex, who's doing the software advice stuff, sales is a pretty similar skill set to like go network and meet someone. But a lot of this stuff is like technical. And I have said this to people. I've been like, there are there are companies that know this, that have experts at this technology. You should like go to meetup groups and this and that. And the problem is like, no, like, one does that. no fuck no. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's really interesting. This is, um, so I'll just, I, I don't like talking about people on this podcast, but Carlson's sort of a celebrity now, so I can talk about him and not feel yeah, he's a, he's a public figure. <laughs> yeah, um, Carlson is the uh, former CEO of Lucid. He uh, he actually um, stepped down and passed the baton um, to Dave Grow in the last couple of weeks. Um, oh, I did yeah, not heard so that. That's actually a big deal um, here in Utah. But um, he, anyway, he's built an incredible culture. I believe he he somehow built baked this into the culture as like mm. from the first person he recruited um, that wasn't on the founding team and just kept repeating it. I think it's a personality type. I think it's built into the, like the DNA of the company. Um, 
But like, so it is the individual, like the person who wants mentorship is expected to go seek it out. It's not like this team of people bring in speakers. I think it's leaders at the company. Um, I think it was it's first the CEO and then it's the CEO's next. It's the, it's the, the partners, you know, yeah. kind of level people. And then, but it's intentional. It's very intentional. Um, now, since it hasn't been necessarily intentional on your guys's part, historically, you're, you're now kind of going like, okay, well, how do I bake that in? And so you're going to be, it's probably going to be hard to get this going, but yeah. I think it's something easy to do. Like, especially if you, if you just like get intentional about it for a couple of these markets, focus on, on just on marketing for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I would give it a try. Like, I, I don't know. I'd, it feels like uh, marketing is where you need to have some friends of less annoying CRM giving you advice. Um, oh yeah. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, you could figure out something with marketing that works across the whole company. Yeah. So the first step is figuring out who in St. Louis knows this. Cause you, you're absolutely right. Someone in St. Louis knows how to buy leads and do some kind of B2B sales process with them at our size. Like the, St. Louis is just dominated by giant ancient companies. So one thing you could do is maybe exclude St. Louis. Maybe don't try to do the St. Louis at, don't constrain yourself to St. Louis to start off, but like software advice, like go look at who's buying software advice leads. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be like there, I'd call them up and say like, who are your most successful like clients? Mm. Um, and then I'd go like, okay, who's your contact there? Can you introduce me to them please? Um, and like, I'd, and then just go like ask them a bunch of questions. I like that. Okay. And if they want to introduce you, just go reach out to them on LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think that's a great, tactical advice uh, piece of advice and on the on the tech side i do think st louis has what we're looking for uh just no one's making any money <laughs> like no, startups aren't making any money that's the problem but yes uh okay yeah reach out to software advice okay and then just figure out a reason to talk to them regularly whether it's a mastermind group or just a regular chat or whatever i don't think it's necessarily regularly i think it's like figure out how to develop a mutually beneficial relationship with that person so yeah. that um, it thrives into something useful. Right. But so like my problem, I'm, I'm terrible at this. You're better at it. Uh, if I don't have a reason to talk to somebody, I won't. <laughs> and then it, it w- the relationship would never develop to the point that they would be there for the questions. If, if this person is good and comes in and wows you guys with their advice and sort of like know-how, you have a reason to reach out to them. And just let it happen naturally, I guess is all I'm trying to say. Don't like try to like yeah, uh, force you, it. You don't know me, apparently. Okay. <laughs> this is not natural. <laughs> okay. um, no, but I hear you. I hear yeah, you. But yeah, like it, it, here's a larger question because the larger issue here is like maybe you need to hire someone with marketing experience. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Right. Like, uh, like there, there's like this thing where it's like marketers hang out with marketers, BD people hang out with BD people, tech people hang out with tech people, sales people. I a hundred percent agree. This is the same problem applies here, which is, so we've built up a pretty, because we are limiting ourselves to St. Louis, which admittedly is a self-imposed constraint, but it is a constraint. And I don't know who the ex like that. There are experts in this in St. Louis. Our whole company is really based around bringing entry level people because there's a ton of talent in St. Louis, but there's not a lot of proven expertise, at least not in, in B2B SaaS. So I think you're 100% right. If I knew who that person was locally, I think I'd take a swing at it. Um, maybe I, think I should the way try that and find you, out. I think the way that you find this person is through like inviting people into like yeah. lunch and learn presentations. 
feeding them and like maybe paying them 500 bucks. I don't know. Um, per session, $50, like free is probably better than $50. But, um, anyway, I, I, you'll find like some people here where it's just like, Hey, like we want to create a, maybe the way you do this to keep it simple. So it's not like networking is like you create a program. You're really good at programs. So like you create a program where it's like a, a third party, a St. Louis advice, you know, network and you, you host a, less annoying specific sort of deep dive session um once a month or once a every two weeks and you 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 use that to sort of have a reason to reach out to people that are experts in the st louis community in the areas that you're interested in Mm -hmm. and then you sort of programmat programmatically go after this over like six or 12 reps um and uh, see what happens and and then like decide what to do from there. Then you have like a network that you're working with decide uh, whether it's worthwhile to do anything more. Yeah. I think that's a good plan. If I'm being totally honest, I don't think I have the appetite for it. Mm-hmm. Like I think that could work and I, I just know I'm not going to put that much effort <laughs> into it, but uh, cool. someone listening, you should do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. What I would do here is I would I would find out who like like per, for that particular problem like I would just be like super curious about who's having success at software advice like I would be talking to software yeah, advice. Yeah. I think that, that that's a great great Twitter, tactic here. Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, asking Twitter, asking forums, searching Google, reading books, that kind of stuff. Yeah. What I'm realizing in this conversation, we we are a very insular company. Like no even the people, even like Alex who's a big schmoozer He's not like schmoozing with other companies like us. And I've always kind of rolled my eyes at like, why is everyone going to these weekly startup events? And like, I've gone to a bunch and I'm always like, that was worthless. And now I I still think probably there wouldn't be enough value to justify the time, but there is value there. And for a different company that's growing faster and dealing with a lot of challenges for the first time, I I think I'm seeing the value. There's one tactical piece here that I think is missing. Like I would not want to go to a networking event to find this person. I would want to, like the way I would find these people is I would like look into my Rolodex on LinkedIn, search St. Louis and like try to find someone that I know that I trust. Yeah, but I don't know anyone. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Like I would call someone like, and just be like, hey, like you're really smart. Who's the smartest marketing person that you know? Mm, yeah. And then like I would go to that marketing person, like, who's the smartest marketing person that you know? And I would just like be like co- constantly talking to people and just like getting to referrals of like the smartest people people know. And eventually I'd find someone. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I said I don't know anyone. I know a few people. I could I probably don't know the right person, but I know someone who knows the right person. Yes, that's yeah. the key. And I and, and I think that's way more effective at finding someone who can help you than going to a networking event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess by network, I was using networking event as just a proxy for like spending time schmoozing with people I don't work with. I've always had the kind of saying, if it's not a customer and it's not an employee, stop fucking talking to them, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which I still mostly stand by. But uh, in this case, that's a liability. You've got a network though that is willing to help you grow your business. And that's really all we're talking about here is like leverage your network to find people who can help you grow your business. Yeah. They don't, the network doesn't have to help you directly. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Well, thanks for talking through that with me. Helpful Um, at all. Yeah. Well, okay. So first of all, the software call up software advice and ask who their most successful clients are that, that alone definitely worth, worth the, uh, the hour we just spent talking, um, (laughs) this week. Uh, the other stuff I think is more like abstractly interesting and I need to noodle on it. But uh, yes, that was helpful. Okay, cool. And I, I hope it was also helpful for people listening because this is, you know, if, if 
if you're aspiring to start a company but haven't haven't or haven't gotten far enough yet. I mean, it really is a challenge as soon as you you know, you have your skill set that you learned from your past. Once you've maxed that out at the company, options become pretty limited. So it's a challenge yeah. I think everyone everyone faces. Totally. Cool. All right. Well, uh, anything else on your mind? Yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff, but I feel I feel like we should pick up on that topic that we um, talked about last week, uh, sort of teased, and that was like, what is the, um, the the question I asked as we left the last episode is, what is the marketing channel in 2022 that is most like SEO was in 2010? And the reason I asked this question is, we sort of hit the SEO content, like write organic content, and then like magically have ideal customers find your website. Um, like that happened right when we were coming into the business and it worked like people keep was built on organic search, uh, SEO. I'm just curious, like, I want to ask the question, like, is that going to repeat itself? Like, is there going to be a new channel that was like SEO was for us in 2010 today or near in the near term? And if so, what is that channel? Do you have any thoughts? I I definitely don't have an answer, but yes, I have thoughts. One thing that might, might sound like a bit of a non sequitur, but I, you asked, like, is will there be another one? There was a tweet, uh, I forgot who it's from, but um, I shared it in my newsletter a month or two ago, I think, that basically pointed out that every wave of innovation that's happened in our lifetime, like, you know, since the late 70s or whatever, not only was the technology a lot better, but it brought the technology to an order of magnitude more people, right? Going from mainframes to PCs and then the internet and then mobile. And I think SaaS also goes in there where like way more people can buy software now that the SaaS model exists, right? But everybody has a phone now, like pretty much, not literally everybody, but like billions and billions of people have phones. There's not another order of magnitude of growth left. And that's kind of a scary thought, right? Like not that we, innovation is necessarily going to stop, but there will never be the same type of totally new market of people opened up the way we've experienced our entire lives. That's really interesting. So like, it's almost like the, there isn't going to be another sort of mass awakening of discoverability for us consumers, but potentially like, I guess I'm going into like, there's probably parts of the world that are less. So it's really SEO in other parts of the world. It's not like another, there's not another opportunity in like the adopted world, the, the digital, digitally adopted world. Yeah. Or it's not that there's no opportunities. It's that they're different. In the mm. past, it was just like, just be in the game when one of these big waves happens. If you knew what the internet was in the 90s, you probably bought a bunch of domain names that you could have then later sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like yep. It didn't take a genius. I don't think that type of opportunity is likely to come along, uh, at least as frequently or maybe at all. So you're not going to say like uh, cryptocurrency or... Um tokens or whatever the hell they're called. I forget what right. they're called. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the, yeah, like NF, NFTs. NFTs, and, yeah, those aren't the things. I actually think that's really, like there. there's a huge parallel there that I, I'm sympathetic to all the people who are buying the snake oil because like people want to be a part of the next wave. And what if there isn't a next wave? Like that's kind of, I get why people are desperate for it. That doesn't mean it's crypto. I, I definitely think it's not, but I get why they want it to be. Hmm. So, okay. To pull back to the kind of initial question, how has it worked in the past? And I think like getting in something, well, sorry, pause. Every marketing channel eventually becomes something that has roughly zero ROI. That's a bit of an overgeneralization, but like 
it is a competitive marketplace. If you can make money marketing, somebody else wants to come along and take that money, but take a little bit less. And you know, it's a commodity basically, and until eventually the surplus is zero. So the key to really big marketing wins, I think for most companies is find something new before it is at that equilibrium and squeeze it as hard as you can while it lasts and then move on to the next thing. Does that, does that resonate with you? Yes. And, and I want to just re- rehash that like the SEO thing was unique in that it was like this new accessibility such thing that was completely di- to information that um, was new and different and unique that isn't like does falls outside of what you're talking about. It, it sort of does, but I mean, I think it applies still in two ways. Like with SEO, a it's way more competitive, right? Pe- everybody else sees oh SEO works, so everyone's trying way more. Mm-hmm. It's still possible. I think a lot of people still have a lot of success with SEO, but it's harder. And B Google. You know, every tech company that turns into a giant in the early days, they're the good guys, right? And eventually they're publicly traded. Their shareholders say, hey, it's time to start making money. Google doesn't want to send you to some random website that's not paying them. They want you to click an ad or they want you to use one of their properties like YouTube or Google Maps. Uh, My understanding is like fewer and fewer clicks on Google are actually going to organic results total. They are the enemy here if you want free, free eyeballs, right? Yep, that's fair. So it, it, SEO is like way more bountiful and long lasting than most of these channels, but I still think it has that dynamic. Makes sense. What What are your ideas though? Like, wh- where would you look for um, for this next SEO like channel? First of all, like, let's just admit that it probably doesn't exist um, yeah. and won't exist for a while. What is this? I, I think that's right, and I, I especially think the thing about SEO is how big it was. It was the whole internet, right? Mm-hmm. When I listen to podcasts and follow people on Twitter and I see other people have the type of like easy marketing wins that I want, one common place they come from is hopping on a new platform um, as it's growing before it has squeezed all the margin out. A lot of people had a lot of success with Shopify apps. Now, this isn't quite the same thing because you couldn't market your product with a Shopify app, but like that's a way to get distribution. Now, Now Shopify has become the Google where they, they've clamped down and it's not a good channel anymore. So what are the next ones, though? I feel like Webflow. Uh, I feel like TikTok, obviously, is huge from a user-based standpoint. They still haven't started monetizing it heavily, from what I can tell. Um, basically, anything with a lot of eyeballs, but that's not at the point where they've starched out all the profit is, is a place, and th- those are two that come to mind. What about virtual reality? Go on. I don't know. Do like, a- it just feels like um, I don't know. It, it feels like there's a new plat. Like the plat. One thing I was thinking about with SEO is that it was a platform sh- shift from like going to the library to being able to Google at the, the basic level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Oculus is sort of that sort of platform shift. You can like go to a game without going to the game. Um, and so there's something there that is similar to SEO. Yeah, but but um, I don't know exactly how that works out. But it's it seems like that's going to be an op- like if people are spending time on Oculus, potentially they're going to be looking for information on Oculus at some yeah, point. Yeah, the yeah. the uh, iPhone App Store was certainly a goldmine if you got in early enough. Uh, app Store, yeah, interesting. So it could I'm be still, like an app store. Yeah, yeah, I'm still curious if does uh, is Oculus going to end up with the type of adoption that. You'd need you'd need more than it has now, I think, and maybe it will be that. That's the, that's the hard thing about this is if you bet on it now and you build like some Oculus app and 
you know, it's, yeah, they have an app store basically. If it takes off, you could, I mean, that could be a life, like your entrepreneurship is a success just from that one decision, but most of the time it doesn't take off. The, the other area that's kind of interesting to me is data, um, like third-party data, marrying it to your first-party data. That seems like that's kind of what it, what Windfall plays in. And that's yeah. a whole new world to me that seems very misunderstood by the layman um, marketer. And so, yes, like these very large companies and highly sophisticated digital marketing um, uh, departments are are leveraging these these um, these these service providers, these data services providers. But it seems like if a small business could figure out how to do that pro- like cheaply, it seems like a competitive advantage over another small business. Like, yeah, th- maybe like it isn't like being leveraged as much as it could be. I'm going to try to draw a connection here. That's going to be a bit of a stretch, but bear with me. Um, like the history of SaaS software as a service is basically that CRMs and uh, CRM was kind of the first major SaaS application, right? Salesforce. They existed long before that, but because of they were on mainframes, they could only really be used by giant companies that could afford to buy and maintain a mainframe. And what's the, the huge innovation of SaaS was basically saying, what could big companies do? And we we know it's successful, but it was unavailable to small companies. What if we make it available to small companies? I think what you just said is kind of similar to that, that of course, giant com- of course, Google's using data in a way that is just mind blowing. Is are we approaching some threshold where it's such a commodity now that as a small business you can rent the data sophistication and do stuff that other small businesses don't yet realize they can do? Is that kind of what you mean? Yes, I think the way that you just said it validated that this could be it for me. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. And there's potentially, that'd be an interesting, I don't know that we have time right now, but you could go down that tunnel and say, what are all the things that big companies are doing that technology might allow small companies to start doing? That, re- that it's like requires lots of funds, lots of sophistication. It's high com- highly complex and highly exp- and, and, uh, expensive. Yeah. Like what, what are those things that have reached the point where it could be simplified and uh, like ma- massively like cut, you know, ch- you know delivered cheaply? Yeah. Um that that like, could be a recipe for finding some of these. That's very interesting. I don't have like the specific how, you know more about this than me like how do you actually use the data, but I vi- generally yeah, like if if there's an effective way for small businesses to do it, I buy that that that's a good one. Um, that was a really helpful comment. I didn't know I never when I post questions like this, I never know where they're going to go and I did not expect Yeah, that. it's next when we're like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Like I'm actually going to I'm going to look into that because it's very relevant to what I'm doing. With yeah, you could, you could really be ahead of the curve there. Yeah, and it really valuable for leg of health. Like if we could get super mm. targeted digitally. F- yeah, that's it. So SEO is organic, like people going out searching for things and being found. But what if we could identify people digitally and push our message out to them and wherever they are online? That's yeah. a whole other world um, that hasn't been like, I haven't heard any like bootstrap entrepreneur like explain that simply like SEO. Yeah. Are you familiar with SparkToro? No. Uh, Rand Fishkin, who started SEO Moz, which is now Moz, um, he, so he was kind of an SEO expert. And he's basically like, SEO's dead. That's not what to do anymore. But uh, SparkToro is his new business that is kind of related. It's like, where are all your customers? Like, where are they spending time? What are they doing? I haven't used it, but that might be an interesting thing to check out because it's kind of in this vein. That's very cool. I'm definitely taking a, I'll report back to, on this in a couple of weeks. Cool. I know you, you probably have to go. I've got one other thought on the next SEO. So um, shout out to one of our listeners, Steve Davis. He sent me an email uh, 
that talked about like what lessons can well I'm I'm kind of editorializing and adding meaning that wasn't there but what lessons can we learn as American business owners about what's happening in China in business I think we're entering a new era where a lot of innovation is not going to come from Western countries um, and another type of opportunity here is to just do what they're doing in other parts of the world successfully but do it before Americans figure it out. Um, and the the newsletter particularly that he forwarded me was about super apps. So, you know, in Asia, uh, there's like WePay, I think it is, where um, it's like an app that like you don't install 20 different apps. You just have, not WePay, WeChat, whatever. It's just one app. And it's like, if you want to order McDonald's, you just go into the app and go to McDonald's profile and you order it from there. Like you don't have a McDonald's app. Um, and the, the idea of this super app that you can market through. So you could imagine, like America will probably end up with a super app. I think Uber is has a chance of being that. I don't know what it'll be, but being early to that game and being a business that people can interact with and find and buy from, from other apps is another idea here. That is interesting. Cool. All right. That's all um, I got. That's all, that's all I got too. I'll, I have some other things I wanted to talk to you about, but I, they are not time sensitive. So I will bring, I will bring them to the next, uh, the next episode. All right. Sounds good. Well, good chatting. I'm glad yep. we uh, got some red meat there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuplast.com. See you next week. See ya.